They use force to make you do what the deciders have decided you must do. They use force to make you do what the deciders have decided you must do. They use force to make you do what the deciders have decided you must do. Twenty twenty, Anis Oribles, horrible, terrible year. How did we get here? The next three episodes of the Rector's Cupboard are important, at least we think so, and challenging. Here's why we're producing them: because we're convinced that we stand at a time when Christian faith can be expressed in ways that are more hopeful and positive than we may have seen and heard. There can be a tendency to look at other people as the problem in the world. Christian faith has sometimes been expressed like this. If only people believed like us, thought like us, lived like us, then all would be well. Many of us have felt for some time that our faith is better than this exclusionary, even fearful expression. We take up these three episodes in order to do one thing. Examine how particular understandings of Christian faith have led to some of the troubling things that we see today. Abandoning the faith may be worth considering. But we feel called to help articulate the depth and beauty and blessing of a Christ-like faith. We've learned that in order to believe in the renewal of all things in Jesus, there are many things that we don't have to believe. For example, I don't have to believe that everyone except those who think like me are damned for all eternity. I also don't have to believe in the rapture. Turns out that most Christians in history haven't believed in the rapture either. But did you even know that? I think that the rapture is a fearful, even psychotic interpretation of a couple of verses that for over 1,800 years was not part of any expression of Christian orthodoxy. Countless kids coming home with feelings of terror, just walking into their house upon not seeing their family, thinking that the rapture may have occurred and they'd been left behind. Maybe it's time to leave the rapture behind. I'm not saying that you have to. Maybe you love those kinds of things, or maybe you truly believe that it's an essential Christian doctrine. Okay, I just know from reading on how that belief came about that it's not essential, at least not to me, in my Christian faith. And I know that people who for decades have yelled loudly that you must believe as they do will already be warning against people like me. I've heard such warnings as well, but they make me not more trusting of the views of those yelling, but actually less so. As Isaac Ephraim of Syria once said, he was a Christian for those who need to be assured of such things. He said, he who has seen the truth is no longer contentious for the truth. The culture of much of evangelicalism has been determined by a particular way of belief that was fringe when it started in the early 1900s, but it's now become mainstream, largely because many of those who believed it were the loudest yellers. That's only 1900, not that long ago in the arc of history, 
But if you were born in 1930 or 1940-something or 70-something or 90-something, you might assume that it was the only way of understanding Christian faith, the only way of being Christian. Thankfully, it's not. We can do better. Immediately following the American Civil War, people in the vanquished South determined to continue the battle against the North by other means. The question, according to one influential writer of the time, was not slavery, but white supremacy, the true cause of the war, he said, and the true hope of the South. The reason for the war was characterized as secession of southern states from the Union, or as ensuring that the institution of slavery would be maintained. Some contended that the war was not about slavery at all, but about states' rights. However, the vice president of the United States of the Confederacy said shortly before the war, the Confederacy's, sorry, the Confederacy's foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the black man, he said Negro, is not equal to the white man, that slavery, subordination to superior race, is his natural and normal condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. We are currently witnessing in the United States in the wake of the murder of George Floyd something that is connected to sentiments expressed by Alexander H. Stevens in 1861. It's been 401 years since the first slaves were kidnapped and brought to America, but the fight for equality still has a long way to go. I mention this because we stand at what may be a turning of the time. We're embarking on a three-part series that we hope you'll listen to. I hope you'll listen to these episodes more than once. The final episode of the series will be a conversation with Dr. Willie James Jennings of Yale Divinity School. Dr. Jennings is a leading writer and thinker on the connection between white supremacy and Christianity. There is a connection. Those who fought to keep people enslaved repeatedly framed their cause as one of Christian virtue and necessity. Most of us now believe that such thinking is utter nonsense. It's ignorant and hateful and vile. To be sure, Christians fighting for, there were Christians fighting for abolition, but in many areas, Christian faith was synonymous with supporting the enslavement of black people. The time of turning at which we may stand now has to do with moving away from such ignorance and hate. Such a consideration is part, for us at Rector's Cupboard, of a larger examination of how we got to where we are now. Maybe it's cliche by now to say that 2020 has been a rough year. We want to look at how we got here, not so much in terms of the pandemic, but in terms of the culture and the politics around the pandemic. How did we get to a place where sometimes the loudest so-called Christian voices support a president like Donald Trump? How do we get to a place where we can watch a white police officer murder a black man being held down by three other officers? How do we get to a place where the president of the United States holds up a Bible having walked through an area cleared of peaceful protesters? by tear gas and rubber bullets. We've said that since we started Rector's Cupboard that Christian faith ought to be hopeful and positive. If good news is good news for me, but bad news for most people, then it can't be considered good news. When you grow up in an evangelical setting, there can be a sense that the world as described by that setting is just how things have always been. We know better than that. Evangelical expression took the direction that it did because of certain historical turns and influence. If you grew up in a church where end times was spoken of with frequency and urgency, then you might assume that such understanding is the one true way of understanding Christian faith. This is, of course, not true. It's sometimes said that the last creatures to discover water are fish. 
maybe we've taken for granted that the way particular people with particular interests have described faith is not really the best reflection of Jesus. The fish metaphor breaks down because the fish needs the water. There's a lot that we discover has been assumed that we don't need. We'd breathe better without it. That's why we're taking up this series. We want to describe for you how evangelical Christianity got to where it is in North America. You might be very grateful for evangelical Christianity. You might consider yourself deeply blessed by it. Our interest is not to attack. I care deeply about my Christian faith. It is the thing that has defined my sense of the world, my identity as a person, as a husband, a father, a friend, for most of my life. However, I also know that much of what I was told I had to believe to be Christian comes from a narrow interpretation of Scripture aligned with political and cultural interests. We take up this series as Christians in order to add to the conversation that seeks to show a better, positive, hopeful way of faith. We're not looking to be against anyone. If you listen to the episodes, you'll decide for yourself how you might think in the days and years ahead. Part of what has troubled me in my years when I was a pastor was to see that the faith that means so much to me can be hijacked by people who constantly declare urgency and fear. You must believe what I do, what I believe, or things will be terrible. Everything is bad and getting worse unless people agree with me. We will not tell you what to think. We will describe a history of how evangelicalism came to where it is at now. We'll describe how politics came to be so aligned with evangelicalism in the United States. And we will describe how Christians perpetuated the idea of superiority of one race over another. Our hope for ourselves is to reach for a better, more Christian faith. We take up this project expressly because of our faith, because we know the hope of it, because we refuse to let it be defined by those who trade in fear and exclusion. Christian faith has, for much of history, not been good news of great joy for all people. We don't seek to demonize those who come before. Some people who did great things also had terrible views. History and people are conflicted, complex. Often people did their best that they could at the time. We won't demonize, but we won't be beholden by nostalgia. If someone was a slave trader, I don't have to say that their statue should remain in a town because of history. If someone defined Christian faith by being against people and by demonizing others who thought differently than them, I don't have to go along with that program, particularly if I know that their interpretation of Scripture is strained or faulty. We are unafraid to talk about such things. You ought to know where ways of seeing the world came from, particularly ways of seeing the world that define your own social or religious group. As you see some of those, you will begin to see what can be left behind as you move forward. I think that there's a lot that can be left behind. Maybe it's like a kind of rapture. We learn, and then by seeing such learning, we rise above ignorant ways of seeing faith, ignorant ways of seeing others. That's the kind of rapture maybe even I could believe in. So, this is just a little ad. It's not even a podcast episode. No, um, not really. It's an ad for this upcoming series, this three-part series. Uh, Allison, you have read the material that we'll be looking at, American mm-hmm. Apocalypse and uh, Power Worshippers by Catherine Stewart, and then a number of things that uh, Dr. Jennings wrote. Uh, how are you feeling about it? Um, truthfully, it it's mostly made a lot of connections for me. It's made, um, it's made, given me a lot of context and there were large parts of it that were really uncomfortable for me because they were familiar. They were names that I'd heard, 
growing up in my school, in my church, they were organizations that I had involvement with. They were books I had read and had internalized. Um, and, and so there was, there was part that even as I've at this point in my life, largely stepped away from certain aspects of my faith still felt very challenging, felt very vulnerable for me. You feel me. like you're like betraying something by... Kind of. Yeah. There, there's also part where I, I believe very differently now than I did when, when I was younger. Um, and, and there's a recognition of, of, of feeling fooled. Hmm. Um, and that's not to say like I, I was some sort of victim. Um, but I do feel like I, I wasn't handed something that was good enough. One of the things that will come out, I hope, in our conversations with these writers and thinkers is that a particular way of understanding Christian faith is not the only way. And no. that there was a whole history before all this stuff and the early church. And the, and, and uh, so I think, you know, we, and not that it matters. We, we have already kind of pushed past this, but the idea that what we're talking about is dangerous somehow, right? That we might lead people to question things or to... And and I you know I don't know what to do with that other than say, be dangerous, yeah, but that has then... helped me be much much more hopeful. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, of course, the question for some people comes, that comes is, am I going to have to walk away from the whole thing? And I used to think, no, don't worry, you won't have to walk away from the whole thing. We kind of we can show you a better way or something. But even that, I'm now at a place where I'm like, I think some people would be healthier if they walked away from the whole thing. That means mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of damnation or something like that, obviously. But I think, you know, it's so pressed them down. I was not as pressed down by many people, uh, or by this as many people were. And I think there are some people that I know, good friends of mine, who I think maybe they'd be healthier if they if they walked away for a while or something, right? Yeah. So I'm aware no. that that's a part of the conversation. And it's something that, that I think as as someone who very much grew up in an immersed evangelical experience largely white um that that it's not something that i was encouraged by my community to consider it was not something that was generally talked about and and so it is it is uncomfortable but it is necessary there there is part where i have lived so much of my life in in ignorance and in intentional ignorance of not wanting to check what I was given by society that other people weren't. And it's so foundational because there are things that you'll hear in this, like we've read the books and stuff, so we we know where some of the conversations will go. There are things that you hear, it's like, especially with Catherine Stewart, I felt this, that um, as someone who, you know, wouldn't consider herself an insider to this, this way of faith, that, you know, she's, she has this child, she discovers that the, the public school that her child is attending, they have a thing called the Good News Club, and she discerns that the the whole rationale <laughs> of the Good News Club is to convert her child and children like her into evangelical Christians. And she's like, what's going on there? Then she talks about young life and, and kind of their root. And I was talking to a friend uh, who had been a pastor in church as well. He's not right now, but uh, I'm describing that uh, that young life thing to him and that child evangelism thing to him. And he says, like laughing, he goes like, busted (laughs) that is what we were doing right yeah but we thought it was the the best possible thing to do and here's a woman who's saying you were trying to do that to my child 
just imagine that the other way around, turn the tables, right? Our faith has to be better than this is kind of what I think so. And I think that there there is there's value and there is necessity in in critically thinking about things. Um and it doesn't mean that you have to walk away from stuff, or in some cases I think it does. Um but I think that there has been too much time that that proper consideration has not been given. And I think that that there was a lot of fear about thinking critically that was that was instilled in me growing up by the institutions that I was a part of. Um, and I have found so much freedom in critically thinking and and a lot of um, humility in in the best possible mm-hmm. sense. Uh, of understanding that the world does not revolve around me and does not always look like me and it shouldn't. And I think hmm. that um, that that's, that's a hard step to take, but it, I, think, I think it needs to happen. I mean, I think I completely agree. And I think having read the material, I, the Dr. Jennings stuff at the end is probably the hardest in some ways the things to talk about mm-hmm. we can see what's happening in the united states now with the protests and such and we can and one of the metaphors that i've used in my own thinking is a lot of the call for police reform right and that that the call is that for police reform to really be effective long term it's going to have to come from the police yeah that there's and i think there's a maybe a call in our faith to say some of the reform in terms of how we've thought as christians uh, Christians who believe in Jesus Christ as you know the renewal of all things, the one who will renew all things, uh, that some of that reform will will come from from Christians. I see this as really really hopeful. It's also there's it was fun. There's like there is a lot of there's a lot of characters and the stuff that we'll oh be talking goodness. about. There are no, and I I found it very fascinating to I, I feel like I have learned so much in preparing for these episodes and. And it's it's really very difficult initially to feel like things that you were taught as like like you said earlier as accepted things that these are the way things are have not always been that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's really freeing. <laughs> it's yeah. Like not, and not fearful. Yeah. Because I'm like I don't have to be against this group because that's what Christians have always done. It might be easier for us because to a large degree, I mean, we were working in a church until last year and that, but to a large degree, we don't necessarily give up a community. There are people who wouldn't feel like if, if they, if they change the way they see things, they might lose their community. So we're sympathetic to that in terms of the abandoning faith thing from the faith perspective. Like if there's a God, if I believe there's a God, I, I, and this is by the way, what I think, I think that you can abandon God and he will not abandon you. And that, but that's something maybe a bit different than, than what was, you know, said to me growing up, but Mm -hmm. I, I'm so hopeful that that's what I think. So, so, and I enjoyed this. I think it's, there's a lot of humor in some of the things that's there that we'll talk about. We, um, we're, we're going to invite uh, engagement with this people that when they follow the episodes and log on, they'll be able to find ways to contact us a little more than they have before. Um, and so we're really, really grateful and we're super grateful for these three guests. These are not kind of, um, these are people that, that we had taken a course before with Dr. Jennings. So yes. we met him and knew him only from well, that. And these are people that they, they have spent, well, as, as, um, um, 
Matthew Avery Sutton was saying earlier, he spent eight years working on this book. This yeah. isn't something that's flippant. Like this, yeah. this means yeah. a great the, deal to and these, these are authors. People and who've written in Rolling Stone and The Guardian and other places that these are. And and when we asked them, particularly when we said we read your stuff, would you come on? They all right away said they'd like to. So they see, hopefully they see the kind of thing that we're doing as important as well as part of maybe what they're doing. So we feel that for you who are listening. Thank you so much for engaging in this. Please take time with these episodes, listen to them and then listen to them again. And we hope you'll be upset by some of it. We're not doing it to be provocative. We're not doing it to upset you. But uh, we think that that kind of growth is always partially upsetting. But it's unto hope. And so uh, um, we'll start with um, releasing the Matthew Avery Sutton episode next week. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Yeah.